If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5. And while you're looking that up, I want to tell you <clears throat> that God is a God of second chances, and he never does fail. Amen? That is a great song. Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote a book called The Scarlet Letter, and it was published in 1850. Many of you may have heard of this. The premise behind this was that there was an adulterous relationship by a woman, and the community labeled her with a scarlet A for adultery. For the rest of her life, she was labeled with that A. Other people surrounding her, she didn't let anyone know who the father was. He didn't suffer on the outside, but he did on the inside. The previous husband, he wrote this from a Puritan standpoint from his town in New England. At the time, he, he probably saw some things. I don't think there's anybody in this room that doesn't know what a label feels like. Is that true? We have either been guilty of labeling someone else or being labeled, whether it's good or bad, based on what? Who we've been in the past. That's who I used to be. I love what we read in 2 Corinthians. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. As Christians, I believe we need to let that be our label more than anything. Although we see churches that don't necessarily grasp that. The most pure, holy people by their own right were the Pharisees and Sadducees in Jesus' day. Right? They were the ones who were labeling people that we are going to study over the next four weeks. Tonight we want to look at Matthew, the tax collector. We want to look at these labeled people so that we can see how we should properly, health in a healthy way, deal with these labels in our own life. And maybe rethink before we place a label on someone else. Because honestly, it seems that everywhere we look, we can see that they exist and that I know people who have allowed a label to define them, to defy them, and then destroy them. We can take on things that God doesn't give us and be defeated by those very things. So I want to invite you as we're going to look at verses 27 through 32 tonight of Luke chapter 5, to stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. If you don't have that in your Bible, it will be on the screen. I don't know if I can read through all that stuff, though. Maybe I can. Look at that. Verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, speaking of Jesus. And he said to him, follow me. And after leaving everything, he rose and followed him. 
And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. You all can be seated. We want to see a few things, three main things that I want you to see tonight in light of this passage of Scripture. Number one, Matthew was a man who had a label. He knew better than anyone that he had a label. How do we remember Matthew, though? If we weren't back then knowing what a tax collector was, what do we see? The guy who wrote the first gospel that we see in the first New Testament. The beginning of the New Testament, Matthew comes first. He writes this. The gospel bears his name for the simple point that he wants to show exactly who Jesus was. It starts by giving us, like no other gospel, the genealogy of Jesus. It would not exist today to prove that Jesus was who he was if it weren't for Matthew. He introduces us to Joseph, saying, don't leave Mary. Matthew wrote the story that Joseph was to stay, Jesus was the Messiah, you stay with Mary. It's the only gospel about the wise men. You don't think about this. The wise men follow the star to come. That's not in Luke. That's in Matthew. It's in Matthew we read the Sermon on the Mount, and we learn to pray the way Jesus taught us to pray through Matthew. He is looked up to and revered by many as a great writer, an articulator of the gospel that proves that Jesus is Jesus. He focuses specifically on this point by reiterating 99 passages from the Old Testament, from 14 books. He wants to drive the point home that Jesus is who he says he is. We would miss out, you and I would have missed out on a lot of what we know Jesus to be based on if Matthew hadn't done what Matthew did. But we have to know that he didn't always have that kind of reputation. And he didn't start as a writer. He was a guy that was not revered. He was reviled. His peers hated him. Matthew had a scarlet T for traitor in his name. I would say that all of us at some point have a scarlet something. We have a letter that we think that other people used to know us by, that they might still know us by. When they think of your name, what do they think of? The old David, if you will, that took maybe a long time to shake that reputation. That sometimes when I wake up, I think, 
of how thankful I am of a Savior that changes who we were for his glory. I had a scarlet A. The world labeled me an alcoholic. You will live and die that way. You were born that way. You will always be that way. The closer I got to Christ, the closer I got to the realization that the world can call you whatever they want. They're even trying to help. But when you identify and believe what they say, it might not be true. I would say in my case, it was not true. Because he changed desires I didn't think were possible to change. Then when I wake up and think of how people used to think of me and saw me, and I, I threw away boxes of evidence of pictures and things like that, of who I once was. I hated it so bad. If you have something that you don't want someone else to see you as, we only have a couple options. The option here was, Jesus came by. Jesus never let me go. There's a point in your life where Jesus came by, and you were doing your thing, and he interrupted that thing to let you see that he loved you. How? He said, I'm here. Follow me. The first thing we see he had a label. Why was it so bad? He was considered for two reasons it was bad. One, a tax collector in that time was considered a traitor. They went against their own, their own nation to the Romans who were collecting taxes. They came, the Romans come into their territory to collect taxes from them, but they used their own Jewish people to do it. So he was considered a traitor. They were also considered cheaters. They paid themselves based on the taxes, and they could charge whatever they wanted to charge for collecting these taxes. So he'd sit behind his booth, and he'd make sure you paid and go, by the way, that'll cost you this much. Could you imagine in your life, having your own family turn against you to collect what you didn't think was right, to further an agenda so that you can make more money, and it doesn't matter what. He was self-centered. He, at some point, had to agree to take on that profession. He became okay with it because he had a bunch of other friends who were tax collectors, but it did not make him any less, any more desirable. In verse 30, I want you to look at this. 
The Pharisees and scribes grumbled at the disciples. These are the leaders in the community. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Not only was he a sinner, and the Bible tells us we're all, we're all sinners, right? We all fall short of the glory of God. But who's the easiest sin to see? The other guys, not mine. So not only was he a sinner, but he was the worst of the worst of the worst of sinners. He had a label that nobody wanted, so it was him against society because he was a traitor and he was a cheater. One commentary described how despised they were this way. Hundreds of people walked by where Matthew had his booth. Not just Jesus. And they didn't say, follow me. They're throwing stuff. They hated him. And under their breath, they called him a Roman dog. When they looked at him, they saw a monster that had betrayed his people for profit and was rich because he cheated them out of their money. Matthew knew that he was identified this way. And then Jesus, number two, chose him to be his follower. I believe Jesus chooses people with labels to be their follow, his follower. Why does he do that? I think Jesus calls everyone, but not everyone responds. But I know that in my own brokenness, it was the end of me. At some point when we come to the end of ourselves, I'm not sufficient enough. I'm not sure. But I know that Matthew looked out and he responded at that point when he was invited. Jesus comes by, picks him in spite of the way he is. We often say, I'm going to... Jesus picked me because of the way I am. Oh, that guy's going to be monstrous for the kingdom of heaven because of his testimony. No, just because you're a dirtbag doesn't mean that God is going to use you. Because I know plenty of people who have come to me after, I'm a dirtbag and my testimony can twist your hair. I was like, well, that sounds great, but what's God doing in your life? And where are we going from here? And nothing ever changes. You don't have a testimony without Jesus. He chooses us despite ourselves. In spite of ourselves. We need to remember as Pharisees that I'm no better than anyone else. He receives us in Jesus for Christ's sake. He doesn't want to leave us the way he are. He, we are. He loves us too much to do that. He wants to change us to make us more like Christ. As wonderful as Matthew, Matthew's gospel is, and he wasn't an accomplished writer before, when Jesus touched him, he became different altogether. If I have a basketball in my hand, it's worth about 25 bucks. But how much is it worth in LeBron James's hand? If I have a surfboard under my arm, I have a fancy flotation device that makes me fun to watch. That people will laugh sometimes. But if Kelly Slater has a surfboard under his arm, what is it worth? If Jesus has you likewise under his arm, 
It's not what you can do, but what he can do through you, what he can do in you that brings value to you. Does that make sense? In and of myself, I could barely speak to three people at one time. In and of myself, my insecurities are bigger than my, my thought past them. In and of myself, I just wanted to do my own thing and feel good. I didn't realize a man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, and rages against all sound judgment because I didn't look it up. I didn't receive Jesus until later. He called me out. When I said, yes, sir, and began to follow it, began to make sense. We talked about miracles for the last month. And if, if Jesus takes his hand and he spits on dirt and he rubs it and pushes it in somebody's eye, what does that do? It was healing. If I do that, it's a mess. If Jesus has fish and loaves, he feeds thousands. If I have that, we're struggling to fight over it for Sunday afternoon dinner. What Jesus touches changes everything. My point is this. If you put yourself and that label, whatever it was, in his hands, he will change everything. Not just some things. He'll start where he wants, and then you become molded to be who he wants. The Pharisees and teachers of the law criticized Jesus for hanging out with these sinners and tax collectors. They've never been any good. They're always bad. We dismiss them for all that they are. I grew up in a church that... I recall my dad having to come home one day because he was an elder in this church. It was our equivalent to deacons. It was non-denominational. And they were having a struggle of whether to minister to homeless people. And too many homeless people were coming to church on Sunday. And lots of people didn't like it because they were not the right kind of people. Those people probably did that to themselves. We don't want those type of people in this place. What? Who are you? Who am I? Who do we think we are? That we can, like Pharisees, look at a group and say they're not like me so they don't deserve to hear the gospel. They don't fit. In certain church atmospheres, we'll look at the quality of the preaching, the quality of the music, the quality of the facility, and go, well, we're doing good. God must be in this. What about the quality of Jesus Christ in our fellowship? What about the quality of Christ in my life? If there's quality, if his qualities are poured into me, that's what bleeds out into the world. That's what people see as love for Christ. The labels begin to disappear because I realize what I was forgiven of in the first place. 
They wanted good people, their kind of people. People like Matthew were not their kind of people. They would stain their reputation. The quality is not most important. It's the quality of Jesus that's most important. Verse 31 to 32 says, Jesus answered them. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So many didn't recognize Jesus because they didn't see themselves as sinners. They saw themselves as righteous. We can look at a crowd of people and go, I am better than them. I am more righteous than them because I have my act together and I've done godly things. And that's why God's blessed me with these things. But they aren't. Go minister. That's a great opportunity for us to be Jesus rather than post labels. Jesus chose people because of our labels and in spite of our labels. Finally, Jesus calls us to embrace our labels. I think it's interesting. We really only know two things about Matthew. One, he wrote the Gospel of Matthew, and the other is he's a tax collector. But in the Gospel of Matthew, he isn't quoted the same way as he is in the others. Look really quick at chapter 10. In verses 2 and 3, Matthew is listing the calling of, here's the twelve. The names of the twelve are these, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew's brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, what? The tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. At best, Luke said James, a tax collector. He had been, past tense, tax collector. Now he's a Apostle of the living God, of Jesus Christ. Mark and Luke, they don't mention him having, Mark doesn't mention him being a tax collector. Matthew's own gospel, Matthew looks in the mirror and he says, all of these other guys and me, a tax collector. I'm the guy who doesn't deserve to be in this group. I'm the guy who's sitting in the back of the church saying, I don't belong here. There are people that will come and they'll sit in the back and they'll feel, I don't belong here. Guess where they belong? They ought to feel safest here. The more faithful we are, To identify ourselves for what we really are. The righteous don't need a doctor, right? I mean, they're good. But a sinner. Those are the ones that need the gospel. Matthew looked himself in the eye and he embraced the label. I'd been a sinful, selfish, full of me, enemy of the state. And I don't want that anymore. And there's redemption And there's grace and there's mercy and all these things poured out after I gave myself to Jesus Christ. We forget sometimes what we've been forgiven of. I'm bad. I have a scarlet letter attached to me. 
And I earned that scarlet letter. And because of that, I need a savior. It's kind of like what Paul did once he became a Christian. In 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16. This is the NIV. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. You see, the closer Paul got to God, the more dirty he felt he He remembered being. The more grace he realized had been bestowed on him, the more he realized, I'm not worth saving, but he did it anyway. You and I are sinners, saved by grace. It says so in here. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. None better than others. Different personalities, races, Sexes, but we have no business as people that have been washed in his blood to look anywhere except up and embrace who we once were and who we were forgiven of, that we might share that same grace, that same mercy, that he gives us a passion for the redemptive power that lives in us now. It's a great opportunity every day as a believer to to look in the mirror and go, Lord, when I go to bed tonight, I want to look more like you. Thank you. Thank you for what you did already. Thank you for, he says, be joyful always. Be thankful in all circumstances. Pray about everything. Only Christians, true believers, can really wrap their minds and hearts around that commandment because we know what we've been forgiven of. I didn't deserve to be saved. Paul writes this in Romans 5, 6, 8, and 10. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I'm going to read seven. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would die. You ever heard somebody say, oh, he was a great guy. she She was a great girl. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While I didn't deserve it, Christ died for me. Since therefore we've been justified by his blood, so much shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so much more, 
Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Can you say, I didn't deserve to be saved? When I'm weak, we're sinners, we're enemies of God. That's my testimony. That was Matthew's testimony. It's all of our testimony. What I deserved was a bad guy letter for the rest of my life. For people to identify me as a loser. Somebody who couldn't handle his stuff. But the God of the universe steps in and changes everything. He makes it hard to talk. He makes it hard to think. He sobers us up for who we really are and what we really deserve. So in Luke 5 and verse 29, Levi makes him a great feast in his house and there's a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. Why? They didn't come to see the guy They came to see the guy who accepted their friend in spite of the hate, in spite of his worthlessness in the community, in spite of his scarlet T. They wanted to meet Jesus who accepted their friend and they knew something had truly changed Matthew's life. Jesus, when he touches things, he changes things. There's a story about a little girl who proudly wore a shiny cross on a chain around her neck. And one day she was approached by a man who said to her, the cross around your neck doesn't really represent Jesus that well. It was a broken, wooden, torn up, that kind of cross. And she said, Jesus gave value to this cross. Whatever Jesus touches, it does so much more than change everything. You go from broken to gold. From a burden to manageable. From hate and judgment to love. From no hope to complete redemption. They told me in Sunday school, whatever Jesus touches, he changes and he makes valuable. Uh, I'm going to ask the band to come. I'm going to invite you guys right now just to stand. And I just want to ask you, simply... Has Jesus touched you? If, you so, if, if so, you know. Why? It's difficult for me to talk at places. <laughs> Maybe you've had a label that's been attached to you in the past. Maybe you've been dismissed because of your lifestyle. Maybe you've had a history of addiction. Maybe you've had a history of adultery. Maybe you've got a history so, so bad that you moved to a different town. Maybe you've labeled others and judged them. What do you think 
of the before and after in your life? Has Jesus touched you? As they play, we're going to have an opportunity to just respond. You can do it where you are, or you can come down here and pray at the altar. If Jesus has touched you, revival should be happening around you. There's so much more in our lives that should be happening than maybe is happening. Because if Jesus touches you, he should be touching others, right? It's our mission here to connect people to Jesus and one another. There's 90-something people here. If every one of us allowed the God of the universe to continue the redemption process and allow him to touch me the way Matthew did, look at what Matthew did. God used the worst to pen one of the greatest gospels ever that you and I would know that we know that we know based on Old Testament prophecy who Jesus is. The guy who thought that he couldn't be used was used for you and me today. Could we have 180 people here next week because God's using you? What would our church look like? What would our community look like if God truly continued the touching process in your life when it comes to labels? When you lay down these labels, like Matthew did, he embraced it. He looked it square in the face and he said, that's not me anymore. I am a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And God has a job now. I want to pray for us. We're just going to worship for a moment. The altar is going to be open. You can pray where you are. Kevin Collier will be in the back. Kevin Kennedy. All the Kevins will be in the back. If you, need, if you want to know the gospel, any one of us can help you with that. But it's very simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Matthew met him. That whoever believes in him would not perish. Whoever, homeless guy, but have everlasting life. We want everyone possible to have everlasting life because we have it. And if you believe in your heart that God, that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. Lord, I thank you for Matthew's example. And for removing labels, for changing our identity in Christ. We want tonight to embrace our labels and hand them over to you. We know that you take what's old and you make what's new, the impossible new, through your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we're trusting tonight that there are relationships here that have pasts, that need new labels. There are, there are people here that have even mislabeled themselves to the point that they need to hear clearly from you that redemption in the rest of their life is going to look different. 
Lord, I pray that you would touch them because we know that everything that you touch changes us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.